Hi everyone, I hope that you are well and I trust that this has been another week in which you've experienced God's goodness and his grace. We come again today to our sermon series on spiritual disciplines, habits for wholeness, and we come today to the second sermon on the habit of prayer. Last time we had a look at the what and the why of prayer, what prayer is and why we pray. And today we come to the how of prayer, what practices and patterns are helpful to us as we seek to bring all of who we are to all of who God is. Let's begin by having a look at the passage of Scripture that we looked at last time, Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 5 to 13. Jesus says, When you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. Before we dive right into some of the practicalities of how to pray, let me make two preliminary observations which I think are important for us. Firstly, I think it's important to see that prayer is expected. You may have noticed that there were three words that were repeated three times in this short passage. It's the little phrase, when you pray. In verse 5 and 6 and 7, Jesus says, when you pray. He doesn't say, if you pray. Prayer is expected. In Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul goes even further. He says in verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In his book on spiritual disciplines, Donald Whitney says this about this verse, Everyone is devoted to something. Most of us are devoted to many things. When you make something a priority, when you will sacrifice for it, when you will give time to it, you know you are devoted to it. God expects Christians to be devoted to prayer. There is, of course, a danger here. To say that prayer is expected could so easily allow prayer to slip into duty, to mere outward religion. I think it's vitally important for us to bear in mind that prayer is about relationship, as we saw last time. When my wife, Michelle, is away from home, I expect that she will phone me. But that is an expectation of love. And Jesus' expectation that we will pray is equally 
an expectation of love. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. With an invitation like that, why wouldn't we pray? The fact that we are expected to pray should never produce a sense of obligation, but rather a sense of opportunity. The second preliminary observation is that prayer can be learned. Here in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord Jesus is teaching on the subject of prayer. He says, don't pray in this way. Don't pray like that. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Similarly, in Luke chapter 11, where Luke records the Lord's Prayer, we read this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So prayer can be taught, and prayer can be learned. It's possible for us to grow in this area of prayer which is an encouraging and helpful thought. Perhaps it's useful to remember that prayer is a language. And those of you who've ever studied a foreign language will know that the best way to learn a new language is to speak it. And the same is true with prayer. While reading books about prayer and listening to others praying can be useful, the very best way to learn to pray is to pray. Well, having dealt with those two preliminary observations from this passage, that prayer is expected and that prayer can be learned, let's move on to consider how we pray, some of the practicalities of prayer. And these don't come in any particular order. Firstly, though, it is most helpful to find a time and a place for prayer. In verse 6, Jesus says, When you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. It's important that we have a set time for prayer, and helpful to have a particular place for prayer, whether that's out in the garden, or in a particular chair, or kneeling next to our bed, just so that I know when I am here, then I am praying. In Daniel chapter 6, in the Old Testament, we read how out of jealousy, the officials in King Darius's administration trick him into issuing a decree that for three days, no one in his kingdom is allowed to pray to any human or God except King Darius himself. These administrators know that this decree will get Daniel into trouble. And sure enough, we read in verse 10 of chapter 6, now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Daniel had a time and a place where he prayed. He had a plan. In his book, a call to spiritual reformation, Don Carson makes this important observation. Much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. 
We do not drift into spiritual life. We do not drift into disciplined prayer. We will not grow in prayer unless we plan to pray. That means we must self-consciously set aside time to do nothing but pray. What we actually do reflects our highest priorities. That means we can proclaim our commitment to prayer until the cows come home. But unless we actually pray, our actions disown our words. The fact remains that unless we plan to pray, we will not pray. Let me maybe make two sub-points under this main point of finding a time and a place to pray. I think it's very important to spend enough time in prayer. The length of our prayer times will vary, but a good rule of thumb when it comes to prayer is this. We should pray until we pray. This is a discipline that Don Carson speaks about in that same book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Let me read to you what he says. Pray until you pray. Christians should pray long enough and honestly enough at a single session to get past the feeling of formalism and unreality that attends not a little praying. We are especially prone to such feelings when we pray for only a few minutes, rushing to be done with a mere duty. To enter the spirit of prayer, we must stick to it for a while. If we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence, to rest in his love, to cherish his will. Even in dark or agonized praying, we somehow know we are doing business with God. Many of us in our praying, though, are like nasty little boys who ring front doorbells and run away before anyone answers. Secondly, although we should have set times and set places where we pray, we should aim towards praying continually. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, we see how Nehemiah has a fairly long set time for prayer, but then how he also sends up a brief arrow prayer when he's in a tricky position before the king of Persia. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we read how King Artaxerxes sees that Nehemiah is sad and asks him what is wrong. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah recalls, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. We can see that while Nehemiah had set times of prayer, he also learned how to pray continually, continually committing situations into God's hands. If, as we saw last time, prayer is an acknowledgement of our dependency on God, then there really should be no situations in which we wouldn't pray. In Proverbs chapter 3, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. 
Praying continually is a way not to lean on my own understanding, but to trust in God with all my heart and in all my ways acknowledge, think about, invite him in so that he will direct my paths. I'm not suggesting that we become either legalistic or super spiritual about this, but just a genuine sense of bringing God into our everyday lives. Lord, please help me with this maths test. Lord, please help me to be a blessing to someone in pick and pay today. Lord, please help me to answer this email clearly. Lord, please help me in this conversation with my boss. To quote Donald Whitney again, Prayer is in one sense an expression of the Christian's unbroken relationship with the Father. This verse doesn't mean that we do nothing but pray, for the Bible expects many other things of us besides prayer, including times of rest when we could not consciously pray. But it does mean that if talking with and thinking of God can't be in the forefront of our minds, it should always be peeking over and ready to take the place of what we are concentrating on. So praying without ceasing means that we never really stop conversing with God. We simply have frequent interruptions. Thirdly, we should learn to deal with distractions. Going back to verse 6 again, when you pray, go into your room and close the door. I'm sure we've all had the experience of sitting down to pray and immediately having our mind go in a hundred other different directions. We remember people that we need to phone, emails that we need to send, DIY jobs around the house that need completing, all sorts of other things that need our attention. It's important that we find techniques that help us deal with these disruptions and distractions. I've mentioned to you before that it's helpful to have a piece of paper and a pen with you when you have your quiet time, so that when you're thinking of something that needs doing, you can quickly jot it down for later and then get back to praying. It's also helpful to pray aloud. Depending on when and where you have your quiet time, you may choose to literally pray aloud or perhaps just whisper or mouth your prayers. But that's a good way to concentrate in prayer. Many people find it helpful to walk and pray, whether that's walking slowly around the garden as you pray or being out in nature and praying aloud. Uh, One nice thing about wearing a mask at the moment is that you can pray aloud without too many other people noticing. Sometimes it's helpful to write down your prayers. Uh, Some people keep a journal where they record thoughts about their spiritual growth things that they're learning from the scriptures, and that would be a great place to write down a few prayers. Again, it just promotes thoughtfulness and carefulness in prayer. And then, of course, don't forget to switch off your cell phone while you pray. That's why it's very helpful to use a printed copy of the Bible, so that you're not just relying on your cell phone version of the Bible, so that you get distracted by other things on your phone. Sticking with the cell phone imagery for a moment, if you went to visit a good friend at a coffee shop, you might switch your cell phone off in order to be able to concentrate on the conversation with them. And in that same way, we have to find ways to avoid distractions when we come before our Heavenly Father in prayer. 
But fourthly, let's have a look at the content of our prayer, what we are to pray. And a couple of things here. Firstly, Jesus gives us a model, a pattern. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I don't think that Jesus intended us to rattle off this prayer in a few seconds. I think that the phrases in this prayer are broad categories around which we organise our prayers. So we don't just say, forgive us our debts. Rather, we spend a few minutes examining our hearts and our minds and seeing where we've offended God in what we've said and thought and done and in what we have left undone. We don't just pray, give us our daily bread, but under that heading we bring the physical and spiritual needs that we have before God. In Philippians chapter 4, the Bible gives us a few more broad categories in prayer, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Some people combine those two passages and use the little acronym ACTS under which to arrange their prayers. A. Adoration. Praising God for who he is and what he's done in our lives. C. Confession. T. Thanksgiving. And S. Supplication, which is just a big word for asking God for things. Let me mention a couple of other sub-points under this heading of the content of our prayers. Besides the pattern for prayer that Jesus gives us, there is a very helpful book that is essential in our learning how to pray, and that is the Bible. Besides this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, there are 650 prayers in the Bible, including the book of Psalms. The prayers of the Bible are absolutely essential because they broaden our horizons when it comes to prayer. Sometimes I find myself praying fairly little prayers. I'll catch myself praying, Lord, please be with John, which is all right. But listen to how Paul prayed for his fellow believers in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Imagine being prayed for like that. Imagine praying for someone like that. I think that there's a second way of using the Bible in prayer too, not just reading or reflecting on or praying the prayers of the Bible, but also learning how to pray the rest of Scripture too. In our quiet time, we read Scripture and pray, but the two don't need to be disconnected. We can take the passage of Scripture that we've just read and pray it back to God. It can be the basis for our prayer. 
At the moment on our congregational WhatsApp group, we are working our way through Kurt Bjorklund's book, Prayers for Today. And Bjorklund often takes a passage of scripture and transforms it into a prayer. So, for example, he takes the commands in Romans chapter 12 and changes them into a request. O Lord, in view of your mercy, I offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. This is my true and proper worship. I will not conform to the pattern of this world, but will be transformed by the renewing of my mind, and then I'll be able to test and approve what your will is, your good, pleasing and perfect will. Not all passages of Scripture lend themselves so easily to be transformed into prayer, but certainly I can use the content of my Scripture reading as the theme of my prayer. Eugene Peterson wrote a little book on the Psalms called Answering God. And in the book he points out that prayer is answering speech. The first word is God's word, Prayer is a human word and is never the initiating and shaping word, simply because we are never first, never primary. In one of his sermons, Pastor Tim Keller picks up on that quote, and he uses this illustration. Imagine for a moment that you went out for coffee with someone, and that person told you something of their story. And what they shared was an amazing personal story. It was poignant. It was wise. It was fascinating. It was deeply moving. That person was saying, in effect, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And then when he'd finished, you opened your mouth and you ignored everything that he said. You acted as if you hadn't heard a word he said. You made no reference to anything that he'd said at all. And you just talked about things that you needed. Imagine how hurtful it would be to that man. Prayer is not so much talking to God as it is answering God. In the Bible, God has told you his story. He's revealed a massive amount of things about himself. He's poured out his heart, as it were. And when we open our mouths to pray, we ought to be basing what we say on this. We ought to be responding to this. Prayer then is never the first word. It is always the second word. God has the first word and we answer him in prayer. Scripture is even vital when we're asking for things from God. In 1 John chapter 5 we read, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Again, Don Carson's book is helpful here. He says we are to pray according to God's will. Practically speaking, how do we do that? Where shall we learn the will of God, the values of the character and purpose of God, the promises of God? We shall learn such things in the scriptures he has graciously given us. But that means that when we pray, when we ask God for things, we must try to tie as many requests as possible to scripture. That is an immensely practical step. And then finally, in terms of the content of our prayers, we can also read the prayers of others. I mentioned the book by Kurt Bjorklund, Prayers for Today, that we're using as our weekly devotion on the classic WhatsApp group. 
In that book, Bjorklund has collected together a whole lot of prayers from men and women down through the centuries, right up until today. And I found it most interesting and helpful and thought-provoking and inspiring to read how others pray. Now, there are dangers here. Before we imitate the prayers of others, we should always make sure that those prayers are scripturally sound. Uh, Sadly, it is possible to pray utter nonsense. Equally, it's possible just to rattle off the prayers of others without thinking. But there are many great men and women who've penned beautifully poetic and thought-provoking and deep prayers that can be helpful to us and broaden our horizons in prayer. Number five, another very helpful way to grow in the area of prayer is to pray with others. This can take various forms. Just going along to church and listening to the prayers of others can be very valuable. Going along to a prayer meeting, whether that is in person or over Zoom, is another great way of growing in prayer. And then finding a prayer partner is a very helpful and valuable way of growing in prayer. Finding just one other person whom you can pray with on a regular basis. Uh, Firstly, it helps you become more disciplined in regular prayer if you meet once a week. And secondly, it will help you to learn prayer from someone else. In Proverbs chapter 27, we read, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When I hear prayer from another perspective, it can help me to grow and develop my own prayer life. It was because Jesus' disciples observed him pray that they sought out his instructions on how to pray. And then just two brief final points. Number six, I think it's helpful to read about prayer, although, as I've already said, that should never be a substitute for actual prayer itself. There are many good books on the subject of prayer. Uh, I've found Richard Foster's book on prayer to be very useful, Uh, And Philip Yancey and Timothy Keller have both written excellent books on the subject of prayer. And number seven, it's also helpful to keep a prayer journal, uh, to write down what you prayed for, the date that you started praying for it, and what answer you received, and the date you received it. That can be a real encouragement in prayer. There's so much more that we could say on the topic of prayer but I suspect that we have had more than enough to keep us going for one week. Uh, The headings weren't completely clear this week, so let me just go through them again. Find a time and place to pray, and under that, pray until you pray, and pray continually. Deal with distractions. Consider the content of your prayer. Look at the pattern that Jesus gave. Look at the prayers of the Bible and pray scripture, and look at the prayers of others. Pray with others, read about prayer, and keep a prayer journal. I'm also going to attach the session on prayer from the Alpha Course that includes some wonderful testimonies and insights on prayer. Uh, You can freely access the session on YouTube if you're not part of the WhatsApp group. Go to YouTube and look for the Alpha Course session on prayer. Let me close, though, with a wonderful quotation by Philip Yancey in his book, Prayer, 
does it make any difference? He writes this. Jesus' teaching on prayer reduces down to three general principles. Keep it honest, keep it simple, and keep it up. May God grant that that would be true in our lives this week. Amen.